Ruins, 1940. Jasmine Rushbrook, Oil on Canvas. It is a well-known fact that Jasmine Rushbrook and Annabelle Godfrey engaged in an on-again, off-again relationship for much of their lives. Ruins was birthed from one of the more tempestuous moments in their storied history. Rushbrook painted this after a significant falling out with Annabelle. These peaks and valleys were common in nearly all of Annabelle Godfrey's close relationships, and the pair reconciled not long after the painting was completed. Sources close to Annabelle, including some of her other lovers at the time, claimed that Ruins, with all its haunting beauty, was what finally urged Annabelle to extend the olive branch and pave the way for amends and a rekindled romance between herself and Rushbrook. Rushbrook herself said of the piece in interviews that it came out of the gnawing emptiness left in the wake of their sundered relationship. That much is obvious to those familiar with her work, the muted tones are a departure from most of Rushbrook's other creations, indicative, perhaps, of her emotional state at the time. The world of this painting is greys and browns, darkness dispelled only by the faintest of lights. The central, solitary figure, a blindfolded woman in a flowing white gown, walks through the archway of a crumbling stone structure. Debris and detritus litter the courtyard in the foreground, Though whether this is the result of violence, calamity, or merely the passage of time is unclear. A forest whose trees are stripped and bare is visible behind the woman through the archway, suggesting that she has just left the woods for the dilapidated building she now enters. Note the posture of the woman, the openness of it, the strength. How can that be when she walks without seeing? Why does she wear the blindfold at all? And has she walked all this way across forested paths and ancient stone with her vision obscured? The world around her lies in ruins. The world she has just left is empty and bare, with no suggestion of life apart from the tree's continued existence. The world she is entering crumbled long ago and decays more and more with the passage of time. Yet there she is, walking confidently out of a ruined world, towards the weak sunlight streaming through skeletal branches and gaps between stones. What guides her? The warmth of the sun's gentle touch? Or is it something else? Is it something darker? Could it be that she is running from and not toward something? Could it be that something lurks? in the silent desolation that she has left behind. Something so terrible she has covered her own eyes to save herself from gazing into it. What do you see? Was that a shudder down your spine? Some guests have reported the unshakable feeling of being watched while regarding this and other collection items here at the estate. They've said that if you look at this painting from the right angle, in the right light, something might just look back. Though she only dabbled in the creation of art herself, 
Annabelle Godfrey had a deep love for art and for those who made it. It was, in fact, one of her passions to help artists realize their creations and to give them a platform to showcase their work. Her personal history, as you have already begun to discover, is littered with many intimate relationships with artists of all mediums. On that note, make sure you don't miss the Annabelle in Portrait exhibit, a collection of portraits of Annabelle Godfrey, painted at various points during the five most influential romances of her life. It provides a unique insight into her often mercurial character, courtesy of the few who knew her best. It was out of this desire to support the arts, and at the behest of her patron, that Annabelle founded the museum on the grounds of the estate. This mysterious patron has, over the years, become the sole sponsor of the Godfrey. Annabelle never revealed the identity of her patron during the course of her lifetime, citing their wish to remain anonymous. That anonymity continues even to this day. It is a frequent topic of conversation at board meetings to guess at who, or what, is the sponsor. Usually after a few cocktails have been consumed, very occasionally, a board member will vanish on the way to or from the restroom after having partaken in these conversations, never to be seen again. Do remember to stay clear of any shadows and dark hallways, please. But what's life without a little mystery? Whoever, whatever they are, make sure to thank them during your time here at least once. Say it out loud. Any volume will do. We've been told it helps. The Virgin, 1913. Gustav Klimt, Oil on Canvas. What is the first thing you see in this painting? What drew your eye from across the room? Or made you pause in your meandering stroll through the gallery? Was it the vibrant array of color in which the seven women are cloaked? Was it their faces? One particular face, maybe. Was it the overlapping and entangling of their bodies and the incongruousness of that fact in relation to the title of this work? Which of the seven women in this image is the Virgin? How do you know? How can you tell? This very subject has been hotly contested within the art world. Most argue that the central, dark-haired figure is the Virgin of the title, due both to her placement within the image, she is centered and the most prominent of the seven, and because she is the most modestly clothed of the group. The six other figures are in varying states of undress, sometimes covered by those vivid folds of fabric that dominate the picture, sometimes more obvious in their nakedness, which, of course, suggests that these figures have already experienced some sort of sexual awakening. It will perhaps come as little surprise to you that most who hold such an opinion are men. So, I ask again, how can you tell which woman is the virgin and which of them are not? When this question was put to Annabel Godfrey upon her acquiring the piece for the collection, she stated her answer frankly, as was her custom. None of them are. Have you looked at this painting? Really looked at it? Go on, look. I know a good time when I see one, and this, sir, is a very good time. But what do you think? Do you agree that the central figure is the virgin that Klimt is referencing? The one draped in a blue which, as some have noted, is reminiscent of another, even more famous virgin. 
Is it another of the women? Is it all or none of them? What is a virgin, after all? Maybe your thoughts on that subject depend on your beliefs, on what you were taught, what you read, how you were raised. But in the end, isn't a virgin, to put it simply, a person who has not yet undergone a particular type of experience? And what is someone who has undergone that experience? Is there a label for them, too? Is it kind to them? Where do they carry that memory? How do they show signs of it? Is it in the way they carry themselves? Do they wear it on their sleeves? Or show the mark of it on their bodies? Perhaps they do. Perhaps they don't. Perhaps they hold it in their heart or mind where prying eyes cannot find it. So I ask again, how do you know? Thank you for listening to the Godfrey Audio Guide. This episode was written, produced, and performed by Nicole Knudsen, with sound design and editing by James Ferrero. Enjoying your trip to the estate? To keep up with The Godfrey, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Godfrey Guide. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcasting app of choice. If you're interested in becoming a sustaining member of the show, make sure to visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thegodfreyaudioguide. In addition to our various membership tiers, you'll also find full episode transcripts for any who wish to read them. Until next time, friends, see you back at the museum.